Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. And welcome to another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me is Liam. Hello, Liam. Hi, Joe. How you doing today, buddy? Oh, I'm doing swell, Joe. What do you What do you have on deck for drinking during this podcast? Uh, I have a, a sparkling ice plus caffeine, strawberry citrus. I am. Uh, I, I was expecting a an IPA of some kind. So I know, but I uh, I just I just had a conversation about my drinking, and I felt a little bad. So I'm. Uh, That's good. I actually <laughs> uh, re- not feeling bad, but like you know, not drinking so much. I I recently stopped uh, drinking almost entirely. Um, How do you? It honestly, I feel great. Um, yeah, I'm sure you do, asshole. <laughs> it's it's been it's only been like two months. Um, and like, uh, I cut down, um, the, to like only having a couple beers on like the weekend. Sure. And not only have I started sleeping much better, I lost like 10 pounds. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So I'm drinking water out of a, uh, out of a cardboard box, uh, um, currently. Why? Um, it, it's one of those things where. Uh, oh, is it because you can't drink water normally because of the Navy? Yes. Uh, and oh, yeah. they're giving out water. Um, various different kinds of water. Most of it's plastic bottles, uh, like a ton of fucking plastic bottles. Uh, so I try oh. not to like put out so much trash. And they all also offer like recyclable car- cardboard boxes to drink out of. Um, okay. And I have to say, when you're driving down the street drinking out of a cardboard box, people look at it like they must think of drinking like box wine as I'm driving down the road. Let's go, I guess. <laughs> normal Joe here doing normal stuff. Just don't mind me drinking out of my box. Um, uh, also, it says like long shelf life, stable water, um, which I, I know it has something to do with the container, not the water itself. Because like if you mm-hmm. if you store water in plastic for a long period of time, you you, you can't drink that water. No, you get cancer. Um, but like also, it, it makes me think like, why is this water shelf stable? Other than the obvious fact it's in cardboard. Um, but yeah, uh, that's not on topic for what we're talking about today. It almost never is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're in part two of the Russo Georgian war. Uh, when we left you last time, uh, it was when Russia accidentally lied their way into getting the U S to believe that the Republic of Georgia was in the front line of the war on terror. Uh, and uh, Osama bin Laden might be hanging out there. Yeah, Osama bin Laden just chilling in Tbilisi, having some good wine. Uh, but it, yeah, uh, I, I I do need to lead into this again by hitting hit, tapping the big sign above my recording desk that says this is not a pro NATO podcast, uh, it, or a pro Russia podcast, or a particularly pro American. I don't think we've ever uncritically covered any country or person ever. I, I am actually pro-NATO. Uh, 
Oh, God. Um, I, I say things on purpose to upset you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, we've we've talked about uh, people who were legitimately always thought of as good people and made sure to shit on them. So, like, we're not pro anybody. We're not even pro ourselves. We're pro- Since the end of the Cold War, I don't know. I think NATO might be a little obsolete, but I don't know enough to... to you know, I, you know, I have no strong opinions other than, like... It's of course it's going to exist. The same thing with like the CTSO is going to exist. There's always right. there's always going to be a superpower or near well, superpower. The independent states. Yeah, uh, th- definitely that. Uh, there's always going to be a, a superpower or near superpower state that dominates small right, nations. Sure. It's it's going to. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying this is always going to happen. Therefore, it is good. It's just like of, of course this fucking happens. Um, right. Right. And those forces don't necessarily have to be good or bad in existence but what they do is good or bad and from what we have seen both of them suck uh, yep. <laughs> at least in the modern age um, so like I said when we left you last time Georgia somehow got involved in the war on terror and this created a huge training program for their security forces funded entirely by the United States because this is 2001. If you said that, like, we're here to fight terror, you get a blank check written for you. Yeah, the CIA shows up and says, all right, thanks. Uh, here's your here's your literal truckload of Stinger missiles. Yeah, I mean, Georgia is certainly... That's quite a communism, but whatever. <laughs> Joke works. Georgia wasn't exactly um, thought of as high on the list because uh, they weren't in the Middle East. They didn't have a large Muslim population. They weren't... I, Georgia only lucked into this because, A, they were... Russia kept talking about it and B, they were in opposition to Russia. So like the US could play the global war on terror game while also still saying fuck Russia, which of course is a twofer that we're going to pick 10 times out of 10. Um, This led to the Georgia train and equip program, which I was a part of. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yes. Um, Not a large part. Granted, remember, I was a very low, low ranking bad soldier, Uh, but I I was tangentially connected to that. And I feel like I need to point that out before someone like doxes me or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Joe Kasabian showing up on the uh, oh god the world of tanks uh, wiki uh, yeah, the forums yeah, gonna gonna leak stuff about the Abrams to prove prove myself around the the world of tanks for him yeah look, like I think I said last episode literally all I did is teach people how to use an M16 rifle um, that's that's all, that's all I did <laughs> <laughs> don't come for me yeah uh, and noted CIA agent random American tank crewman. Um, not a very good one. But, no, you know. I would have been fired from the CIA for sure. Um, but uh, the, the the Georgia Train and Equip program led to an influx of millions of dollars, um, probably hundreds of millions of dollars, but it wasn't like is over almost a decade. And it still goes on to a lesser extent today, um, but it, without the guise of it being counterterrorism. Now it's fully in the form of fuck Russia. Uh, right. But it was hundreds of millions of dollars over almost a decade. Uh, and not that many military trainers to do the job. Uh, it says hundreds in the book, but it's hundreds over the course of those years. So it's just like 10 dudes. Yeah, I was there with literally a dozen people. <laughs> That's it. Uh, so uh, it, it wasn't a very large, robust training program. <laughs> um, and we also didn't do a very good job uh, because during the war, nobody used M16s. They immediately all went back to their AKs. Um which, to be fair, an M16 is a shit weapon. Uh, yeah. They were getting hand-me-downs. Uh, that's, that's what the United States does. Um, this is around the same era that we stopped using the M16 for um, like a normal battle rifle. 
And we were left with just like tons of them laying around. So we gave them out to everybody. Um, these were decades old weapons with, you know, hit or miss maintenance, uh, stuff like that. They, they, it wasn't exactly a gift. Uh, the, is it better than AK-74, which is their bat- standard battle weapon? Uh, it's a toss-up, I guess, because 74 is not a great weapon either. <laughs> Especially because most of these all date back to the 70s. But uh, this led to an interesting problem within Russia. Obviously, they were not happy about this arrangement, but they also acknowledged, fuck, we caused this. Um, right. Also, remember... And Osama Bin Laden's in Georgia. Yeah, he's, he's on a fucking uh, caucus vacation. Uh, and remember from the last episode, one of the things that Russia was supposed to do after the end of the first war was rebuild Georgia to include their security apparatus, which they never did. Right. So, like, Russia, like, yes, Georgia slowly flowed into the American sphere of influence, but that's only because the fail- multiple failures of Russia. Um, and they couldn't complain, really. Like, Russia couldn't be shitty about this openly. Of course. Anyway. They are. They- we are. They couldn't openly complain, mostly because they frame this as, as a part of the global war on terror. And remember, during this point, the second Chechen war is ongoing. Oh, that's true. Okay. So, like, they need to, they in order to cover for their just countless war crimes in Chechnya, <laughs> they have to frame it as a war on terror. And yeah, we will eventually do the second Chechen war. Um, but none of this had to do with um, rebuilding Georgia for the Americans as well. This was to purchase a U.S. ally for the war in Iraq. Uh, this is something that the U.S. did pretty openly throughout the right. global war on terror, uh, or at least the Afghan and Iraq wars. I, I won't say the global coalition war on terror. Coalition of the willing, or, baby. Yeah, I mean, that's why um, the coalition of the willing was such an obvious joke, because it was full of like tiny nations with armies of like maybe a dozen people or no army at all, Iceland, um, who would end up as part of these... Um, these coalitions or ISAF uh, in Afghanistan um, for seemingly no reason. And the reason why is because the U.S. would just shower people with money that did this. Uh, they would pay for deployments. They would pay for the entire cost yeah, of that seriously? deployment. Holy yeah. shit. Sometimes they would pay the army's entire salary. Other times they would do it in exchange for a ton of modernization back home. Uh, and the reason why Georgia did it is because while the U.S. is pouring money into Georgia proper, a lot of training was going into uh, the units that were going to Iraq. They, I think they just pulled like guard duty around the Baghdad International Airport or something. They didn't do a whole sure. lot, but it gave an international veneer to this whole thing. Um, and Georgian soldiers would volunteer for this because they got paid more. They got paid like an extra $500 a month, which is a lot at this point. Okay. Um, like that's more than most people would make in a month in the country on top of their normal normal salary. Right. So like it, they're making a killing. Um, now, as the years went on, Russia continued to show it had no intention of being this middle ground of uh, of any kind of re- resolution between Georgia and the two breakaway separatist states, South Ossetia and Abkhazia. Uh, mostly because Russia got pissy whenever Georgia tried to do anything you would expect a functional state to do. Uh, now. Georgia, rightfully, in my opinion, began operating under the idea that Russia was the main destabilizing force in their entire country. Wonder how they came to that conclusion. Crazy how that works. So their internal doctrine moved to, we need to minimize Russia until they're gone. Right. Um, The government began passing laws, trying to strip away Russian influence, like taking over control of their own border with Turkey, which was being patrolled by Russia all the way up until then. 
and the closure of uh, Russian military bases within the country. Russia obviously fought this, not because these bases were militarily important. They absolutely were not. Uh, for the Just mo- for influence and having a presence right in their backyard, I imagine, is helpful to Russia. Right. The same reason that everybody is like vocally against U.S. military bases everywhere in the world is the same reason why Georgia was vocally against Russian military bases. Right. Um, not to mention, soldiers do fucked up shit. Um, like, oh, dude, it's based when Russia does it. Right. Like soldiers are soldiers universally. Whenever U.S. soldiers go anywhere, we commit crimes um, and Russians do the same thing. Everywhere that Russian soldiers are, are stationed, mostly in the quote unquote former Soviet states. It's been over 30 years. Let's stop calling them former Soviet states. Um, but uh, uh, they do the same thing. Uh, they would assault people, get drunk, get uh, in the car accidents like there was. um a case in Armenia where a Russian soldier killed like an entire family Jesus Christ. just wandered off post and machine gunned them and then was squirreled away to Russia before he could stand charges. Cool. Uh, yeah. It's, they do the same cool. thing cool. we cool. do. Like yeah. it's the same shit that you like uh, in the United right. States a couple of years ago, uh, I believe in the Philippines, a Marine killed a transgender woman and got away with it. All the shit we've ever done to Okinawa. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, South Korea is another great example of what soldiers do when they're all they do is get drunk and, and break things. Uh, and Russian soldiers are absolutely no exception to that rule. So uh, they wanted to get rid of them for multiple reasons. Um, and the, 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 like I said, these bases were not militarily important. Russia had pretty much stopped giving them money. Uh, they had fallen into disrepair and soldiers were left like living in completely decrepit, uh, decaying barrackses, uh, eating like rotten food and shit like that. Right. Uh, like, but like we point out, it's not about that. It's about what they represent. Um, these, these bases represent two centuries of dominance over Georgia. And they'd be goddamned if they were going to let that slip away. Now, this brings us to the Rose Revolution of 2003. Um, And no, I will not be hearing any bullshit about color revolutions in my comments. Fuck off. Um, Now, if you haven't picked up on the series yet, the the Georgian government under Edward Shevardnadze was not democratic or even particularly good at their jobs. Uh, It was, in effect, uh, effect, a one-party state under various wings of the Citizens Union of Georgia. Shit, I love a party state, Joe. Or a Coug. I'm going to call him the Coug. Um, there, there was like um, controlled opposition, but it was under wings of the same party. It's a very weird That's situation. Fun. And all of them are oligarchs. Like uh, during the interwar period, they were stripping the country bare for anything it was worth. Right. Um, the Coug was notoriously corrupt, like cartoonishly openly corrupt. Uh, its elites became richer and richer while Georgians themselves suffered. People involved in the government stole at least 30% of the total projected revenue from the state. (laughs) And I say at least because some of them were very good at hiding it. That's just what anybody could find, which is a level of cryptocracy. I don't think I found many other places. Frankly, frankly quite impressive. Yeah, it's impressive how shitty it is. It's almost like Bocasa levels of state thievery. Um. Now, when you steal 30% of your operating budget, that means that the state can't function very well. And it didn't. So it should be no surprise that a full half of the population at this point in 2003 is under the poverty line. These are all the reasons that people slowly got fucking mad at the Kug rather than like any extra political maneuvering behind the scenes. Right. 
All of these problems and popular anger led to a fraction uh, or a fracture within the Kug and a real opposition party. Oh, no, uh, not the Kug. The, the Kug was broken. Uh, a real opposition movement led by a guy named Mikhail Shakasvili formed to challenge them for power. Now, over the, the next parliamentary elections, uh, which, which most people accept were won by Shakasvili's party, they were completely rigged, uh, leading to him losing and then huge street protests. Now, here's something that's kind of funny, where somehow, simultaneously, the Russians and the Americans swooped in on the same side of a guy. And that was Edward Shavarnadze. <laughs> and who says we, can, we, can, we, we can't get along? Now, the Russians obviously were very close to Shavarnadze. Remember, he was a former Soviet minister. So, like... Right. They wanted to keep him in power, one, because he was obviously bad for Georgia, which means good for Russia. Uh, and the U.S. wanted him to stay in power because stabilization for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. uh, now, the Russians blamed the U.S. for the protests, uh, saying they're all CIA operatives and shit, despite sure. you know decades of mismanagement, which Russia itself shared a hefty portion of blame for. Um, not to mention, it, the U.S. was fine with Shevardnadze. They had been funding the Georgian state and security apparatus for two years now. Um, and they were like his open and rampant corruption was well known uh, in the U.S. government. And nobody gave a shit. Nobody gave a shit. Uh, if any, anybody can crack a history book, point to some of the worst fucking people from history and be like, yeah, America probably gave him money. And we would. Um, like outside of like maybe Hitler, <laughs> everybody after that, we're, we're, we're in there, baby. Now, if you're Henry Ford, also Hitler, yeah. um, <laughs> it's complicated, Joe. It's complicated. Like nobody gave a shit. Uh, like I said, the U S mostly cared. Uh, it was, I was really worried that if there's any kind of destabilization or an actual civil war, cause remember that had already happened very recently in Georgia right. um, that it would fuck up their efforts. It, terrorism would become an actual problem um, and they would stop sending troops to, uh, to support war efforts. Right. So it's a problem. Um, like I, and before, like, like when we pointed out that the U.S. only saw Georgia as a front line against terrorism uh, with a minor in fucking with Russia. In order for the first plan to work, Georgia had to function as a state, which revolutions and popular uprisings have a tendency to not be good at. <laughs> that is why the State Department asked Shevardnadze to not resign despite public pressure and rather finish his term uh, and then just not stand in the next election. Right. Uh, and if you, just, uh, if you could just resign in disgrace at the end, at the end, just stand on like a hero uh, <laughs> and then let your next handpicked guy steal the next election. And then, you know, people will probably calm down in a couple of years. I will give you a dacha. Just go with the plan. <laughs> oh. Edward Shavanatse had mad amounts of dachas already. <laughs> mad dachas. <laughs> Just fucking dacha drip. Now, it was only when it was obvious that Shevardnadze was not going to stick around that the U.S. openly began supporting Shakasvili, hoping to continue the relationship going forward, which, of course, they did when Shakasvili became president. America is so good <laughs> at this. Shaka's view is a, is, is a funny story onto his own. I think he's been exiled like three times. <laughs> since he's coming back. At one point, oh, you thought. <laughs> at one point, some journalists uh, interviewed him. I believe at like a uh, in a bar in uh, in New York because nobody else would have him. Um, oh. 
Yeah. New, uh, where we'll else but New guy. York City, baby? We'll, we'll yeah. take a guy. I want to say it's New York City. I could be wrong. Um, now, the Russian response to Shakaspili coming to power were pretty much immediate uh, in both their actions and intent. They began flooding both Abkhazia and Osheria with heavy weapons, supplies, right. training, and more Russian peacekeepers, which was something that the side that feels agreed. like an oxymoron. Yeah, right. Um, now that's something that both sides agreed on uh, when the war ended. That peacekeepers would, you know, make sure that the border didn't randomly erupt into violence. But they were supposed to be uh, there's supposed to be a strict limit to them, and Russia broke those limits immediately. Crazy. <laughs> um, and the peacekeeper. Umbrella would be used to bring in tons of volunteers. And we'll talk about that later. Um, They also began to mold these two states politics into something more agreeable to their terms. Because remember, as much as people like to think this as being a little bit more than Russian puppet states or something, they had their very own goals for their very own people. For instance, Ludwig Chirbirov, who is the prime minister of Osheria, had been working in what is mostly considered good faith with Georgian authorities since he'd been elected in 1996 and was waiting for a deal that would allow him to come back into Georgia mm-hmm. with the reestablishment of an autonomous status for Oshetia. Right. And there's no real evidence that Shakasvili was huge about that. Um, it, but it was something. It was a, it was a possible roadway to peace. A I good guess. gesture at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. May, maybe it could have worked. Maybe not. So the Russians got involved. Uh, well, of course they fucking did. Enter the so-called meeting of four uh, of, of uh, four hand-picked Russian agents, or people knew that Russia could rely on uh, and to make sure this little deal did not happen. Uh, and one of which was a professional wrestler. I should point out. <laughs> what the fuck is that important? No, but it's funny. Uh, and they were brought together to make sure Chabirov did not win re-election, which would kill the deal with Georgia. After sure. some after some election fuckery, their plan worked, and the professional wrestler became president. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. Uh, it's kind of funny while the while the nation state burns. Then, under President Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, he requested Russia to recognize the independence of South Ossetia officially and absorb them into the Russian Federation. That sounds familiar. It should, because <laughs> yeah. that's what, that Crimea did the same fucking thing, right? Um, now, Russia responded by Mr. giving Putin, out my people long for freedom. Yeah, uh, uh, Russia responded by giving out Russian passports to the people of Oshetia, effectively making them second Russian citizens. While also uh, recognizing Oshetian independence, it's a very weird concept. They, Russia does this a lot. Um, now, if this wasn't enough, the Oshetian president flew to Abkhazia and sent a military union that promised Russian support to help them as well. Meanwhile, in Oshetia, with their professional wrestler as president, almost all government minister positions were replaced with whoever had them before to Russian advisors. Yeah. For instance, the head of the Russian FSB in the Federative Republic of Mordovia became head of the Oshetian KGB. Oh, it's, just a, it's not a promotion. It's just a, uh, you know, a side thing. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a, a, lateral, la- a lateral transfer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, soon Russian officers would end up in charge of every aspect of the Oshidian military to include all the way down to platoon level leadership. Uh, so <laughs> it's like full on puppet status at this point. Uh, and th- I have to say, this is completely independent of the Oshidian people. Like this, th- they have no say in this matter. Right. Um, the Russians also rigged the Abkhazian elections so hard that when their chosen guy lost, they banned all Abkhaz imports, which was oh, effectively. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's the equivalent of just switching off their economy. That's like, brutal, dude. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, eventually, what of course, what a dick move. The guy who did win, fully realizing what happened, realized what was going on, and entered into a, a power sharing deal with the guy right. that Russia wanted in charge. Uh, to, so they would allow uh, exports the again. Back on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, at this point, Russia was pouring in so much money into the two states, it equaled 200% of the entire GDP of the states, which Holy fuck. has to be some kind of record. That is a lot of money to spend. That, that Wow. So by just the like time, us, guys, please just give me one more chance. At this point, like these places are very small, have very small populations. Um, you almost have to run out of stuff to give money to at that point. Oh, this is just a, a big jar. We label bribes because <laughs> the, like they're not building infrastructure. I mean, they are building like roads and stuff, but there's specifically they like solid mili- gold, <laughs> like military <laughs> roads. It's like that uh, road that um. Russia built into Sochi for the Olympics. That was the equivalent yeah. of paving it with like Versace bags or something like that. Um, no, so but the by the time that the Rose Revolution uh, succeeded in Georgia with Shakasvili becoming president, Russia had pretty much made war the only way any of this is going to end. Right, and this is only two thousand three. <laughs> oh, jeez. By two thousand four, it seemed like Russia was actively goading Ru- uh, Georgia into war. Mysterious explosions started happening at Georgian power plants, and a bomb exploded at a police station in the town of Gori, killing three people. Another explosion <laughs> cut off oil and gas pipeline that uh, seemingly, strangely, only supplied Georgia in the middle of the winter. That's funny how that works. Now, independent investigations tracked all this back to the Russian GRU, the military oh, okay. intelligence. Uh, <laughs> I was worried there for a second. You know? Yeah. Worried it might be some third party. Uh, now, it's it's... It's clear when something did pop off, Russia did not want to be seen as the aggressor. They wanted to look like some kind of coming to the aid of a besieged ally or something of that. Right. They wanted Georgia to take the bait. They were daring them to do so. But they didn't. Yet, uh, we'll get there. By 2006, the Russians had poured so many arms, people, machines, whatever, into Abkhazia and South Ossetia that had eclipsed the total military capacity of the Republic of Georgia, despite the fact of the two states having a total population of 250,000 people. Jesus Christ. Georgia's was 4 million. Uh, all this, all these weapons, training, uh, advising, whatever you want to call it, came at absolutely no cost to them. Uh, R- Russia's nice like that. How uh, noble. Yeah. Russia also started what amounted to be a total embargo of Georgia, somewhat unofficially. Less cool. Yeah. And uh, began the state-sanctioned harassment of ethnic Georgians living within the Russian Federation. Waves of state inspectors were sent to Georgian-owned businesses looking for a reason to shut them down. And cab (laughs) cab drivers were encouraged to refuse service to anybody with a Georgian surname. Yeah, uh, even also like looking kind of Georgian, which I have to say, that could be Georgia a lot Jeff. of us. Like that could be a lot of us. We all look yeah. a lot alike in the region. <laughs> By 2006, neither side was backing down with Russia demanding the recognize uh, the recognition of the state uh, of statehood for the two breakaway states and Georgia, of course, not accepting that as an option. With the added effect of the president of President Chakasvili saying Georgia would join NATO by 2009 because at this point could you hardly blame them? <laughs> like, <laughs> who else is going to look out? For, well, obviously, NATO does not, in fact, look out for Georgia, but nobody else is looking out for them. They at least thought that NATO would. Those poor bastards. 
Yeah. They don't have any other options at the moment. There's no like third way here that's like right. you're either with Russia or you're in NATO because like joining the nine aligned movement isn't a fucking option here. Um, of course, immediately after this announcement, Russian helicopters attack Georgian government buildings near the border. Something they immediately denied doing, despite it clearly being Russian military helicopters attacking. Just take the credit at some point. Just be like, yep. And what are you going to do about it? It's just like when the Georgians shot down a plane during the first war that said property of Russia, had a Russian pilot in it, Russian military instructions. Like, nah, it's Georgian, bro. Uh, Georgia reacts. Bro, trust me. (laughs) Georgia reacted to this uh, in its, its parliament by voting in favor of NATO membership in a landslide. After that, a Georgian cop car was ambushed near the Oshidian border and two people were killed. By 2007, there's obviously there's war plans in the works. This is no longer a um, vague concept for Russia. After years of bitching and moaning, the the Russians suddenly withdrew their forces from various Georgian military bases, something they previously said would take them 11 years, and they didn't less than five months. Hmm. They moved all those people to Oshedia, by the way. Uh, Ah. Because of course they did. Yeah, it was just... Then Russia did what, honestly, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody do before, and that is hold a full-scale dress rehearsal for the coming war. By early 2008, Russia stopped even trying to hide what their intentions were. In February, Russian President Vladimir Putin went on TV while in uh, Dagestan, and while discussing the construction of a nearby road, he asked, quote, where does this road lead? To which the host said, to Georgia. And Putin answered, good, we need to accelerate its construction. We need one more corridor to there. Remember, there was virtually unannounced blockade of anything Russian going into Georgia at the time. There's only right. one reason why Russia would need that road. Duh. Now, uh, none of this really mattered in case any, anybody is unaware of NATO bylaws. And really, why would you be? Please don't be that big of a nerd. Uh, there's a small detail in, in, the, in the rules of NATO admission, right? Yeah. Nobody can join if it has an active and unresolved border conflict or dispute. Oh, no. So Georgia can never have joined NATO. It was never going to happen. Um, now, the obvious reason for that is if they allow people into NATO with border conflicts, you will eventually drag NATO into war. <laughs> right. Fair <laughs> Which enough. NATO tries really hard not to do when it's important. Um, that meant, in effect, simply keeping things the status quo as they always have been for the, well, at least since the mid nineties, Russia had won. Georgia right. was never going to join NATO. It would have been impossible. NATO has never once um, like waived this. They never will. As maybe if it was a border conflict between uh, two very small countries that the rest of NATO didn't care about, they would let one sure. in because the other one isn't going to want to fight NATO. But right. this is Russia. NATO isn't going to purposefully uh, waive this clause knowing it will absolutely lead them into conflict with Russia. Right. That's just fucking stupid. There, there is no fucking way that Georgia was ever going to be allowed in NATO. And it's 2021 at the time of recording. and It'll probably be 2022 when this comes out. Georgia's still not NATO for a reason. Um, it, it was never going to happen. And NATO didn't make this a secret. They openly talked about it. Like, uh, well, while Georgia was voting to join NATO, NATO was like, okay, well, here's the process that you need to take in order to join NATO. And one of those things was resolve the fucking border conflict. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> Which, good luck to you. Yeah, good luck. It still hasn't happened. <laughs> <laughs> now, because of this, there is one other possibility, and that is in order to break free of Russia and join NATO with that protective umbrella, Georgia would have eventually agreed to a more Russia-stilted deal. 
Right. Um, maybe there's no real pie in the sky. There, there was no like real ideas in the Georgian government at the time that made them think they could resolve this militarily. Like they understood right. that they were at a disadvantage at this point. Just a little, just a little yeah. of it, just a small one. Um, and not to mention, Shakasvili was not a very good president. Um, as we will go into a little bit more detail, how this war starts. Um, he didn't exactly have the diplomatic abilities to fight his way out of a paper bag. And this is like the, oh. only, <laughs> the only way he could have solved this, in my opinion, would have been allow Oshedia to have autonomous status within Georgia, solve that problem, and then give Abkhazia away. Because Abkhazia sure. just kept telling him to fuck off. <laughs> like, that's it. That's, that's how you fix that. And then you can join NATO. That's like, you know, with. That's not going to happen. Yeah. No, of course not. No, it would have been incredibly unpopular. Um, it would be. I'm trying to think of a, a of a. It would be as unpopular as if, like in modern day Ukraine, if in order to resolve the crisis, Ukraine just like okay, those places exist now. War's over. It would have been suicide for the government. You right. can't you, you can't just give up huge swaths of territory and your people not be mad at you. Um, right. Especially when it's you know this is um from from uh like a, a Republican identification standpoint this conflict is almost a foundation of their government and modern state because as soon as georgia broke away from the ussr this war started so it's as old as the republic is um it's not going to be given up easily it's just not happening right i'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing it's just the way it is um I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that georgia was never going to join nato it's not gonna fucking happen man um now, uh, the the one thing that Shakas Valley's government really tried to do is rely on charm offensives, and they were bad. Um, okay. Pretty much just showing uh, Oshedians, Abkhazians, how good their life could be if they like rejoined Georgia, which was doing better at the time. Um, but like, that's it. That's pretty sure. much all they tried. Um, of course, none that really mattered because the head of the Russian military staff, as well as Sergei Lavrov. Both stated they would do everything in their power to stop Georgia from joining NATO. So, yeah. That, that, they I mean, are. yeah. that means the status of these two regions wasn't actually important. And they were just using it to keep Georgia in a state of limbo. That's Russia crazy how that works. Yeah. Russia, that's, Russia that's didn't give safe. a single fuck about either either two of these states or their people. Now, all Georgian Russia attempts... Russia Joe. Oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> no, you don't. Ah, uh, fine. So, <laughs> That's all I got. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All Georgian attempts to reach out were functionally pointless. This further underlined by the fact that Russian jets shot down a Georgian drone over Georgian airspace. Something, again, Russia denied. Um, now, this is kind of impossible to deny, as all of the other incidents, because the drone managed to record the approach of the jet, which was wow. clearly Russian, before it was shot down. And you can actually watch this on YouTube. It's kind of neat. Uh, I think this is the first uh, footage of we have a drone of getting shot down ever. Uh, That's <laughs> unique. Yeah. Uh, and I've watched it. It doesn't look like you would imagine. Like, you could see the rocket coming. Wow. And, you're like, and it moves a lot slower in that drone's vi- uh, footage than you would imagine. That's a mindfuck. Yeah, it really is. Um, since this is obviously an act of aggression, some would say an act of war, you know, shooting down a military asset over the airspace of that country. Uh and it was finally recognized uh, as one by the, the the noted useful institution, the United Nations. Uh, thanks, boys. Yeah, you know you know what they did? Nothing. Uh, letter. <laughs> yeah, we will write you an angry letter telling you how upset we are at this. 
Uh, yeah, it's the UN. They did nothing. Uh, Promise you'll never do it again. Promise. Pinky swear. <laughs> oh, they vetoed the pinky swear. Oh, swears he real zoos. <laughs> Somebody voted present on the angry letter. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, I have to say, uh, like as much as we shit on the UN, I will say that's the only institution that is um that that the student version of makes look better. Oh, like student UNs function much better than the actual, the actual UN. UN. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking funny. Even if it's literal, literally just children screaming at one another. Uh, because I mean that's really just all the UN is too. Um, now you can argue probably effectively that this is actually when the war started in July of 2008. Uh, and I would agree with that. Uh, this is, I guess you would call this the, um, the phony war part of it. Kind of like in world war two. Right. Where both States notion, no shit's popping off, but neither is like fully stepped into it. Okay. Uh, as a retired Russian general went on record saying that Putin had greenlit the invasion of Georgia in order to do a regime change, kick out Shakasvili, though we don't know who his replacement was. I doubt Shevardnadze would have been at. Um, And this happened at two, uh, a full two months before in May of 2008. So starting in July, it makes sense. Now uh, there's also another reason why Putin would say this in May. He wanted to make sure that the military knew what he wanted it to do before he was to step down and make room for Dmitry Medvedev, uh, who was, who was going to be president or at least pretend to be president for a few years while Putin screwed around that whole Russian constitution thing. So he could become president a couple years later. Yeah, Yeah, everybody remember that one time where a guy named Dmitry was in charge for some reason. It was that Russia sent more and more soldiers to the two breakaway states, setting up illegal roadblocks while the the military put out a full nationwide call to former retired military helicopter pilots who specifically had experience flying in the Caucasus to return to service. Mm. Meanwhile, the Russian railroad troops, a branch which actually does exist, were deployed deployed to the area to fix and update the Abkhazian rail system to make it usable for heavy freight, like tanks and artillery. Oh, I was going to ask, what possible heavy freight? Could they possibly? Oh, they just came out and said it. That's like one of my my favorite things about the Russian military is that if there's a branch of it, a railroad branch exists. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't know why. Trains are cool, Joe. Like and and that's not just the military. That's like they have railroad cops. They have a railroad prison service. Cops. We have railroad cops. I mean, aren't aren't they just like BNSAF like private cops? Yeah, Yeah, but they can arrest you. You never want to be arrested by railroad cops. Uh, That sounds like getting arrested by a Pinkerton, but worse. Yeah, and we also have railroad retirement as an alternative to uh, Social Security. What the fuck? Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. So like. Railroad workers have their own specific. Yes. Uh, if you work on the line. Yeah. And it is more generous than actual social security. Well, that's not saying much. Yeah, I know. I'm just putting it out. My mom recently uh, qualified for social security through disability. Uh, yeah. And she was like waiting for it, expecting to be like, you know, a livable amount of money. <laughs> oh, you're <laughs> and, poor mom. And I think they gave her like $500. Okay. Well, she like can, a month. <laughs> that certainly. Yeah, like, uh, don't worry wow. About that. Thanks, assholes. Yeah, good thing we've been paying into this. She's been paying into this for, what, 50 years? Yeah. Now, um, yeah, uh, now, if that wasn't obvious enough, on the last day of the month, Russian soldiers, along with FSB troops and members of the both uh, Abkhaz and Oshetian militaries, started a massive training exercise. This is that, uh, that dress rehearsal I talked yeah. about. Soldiers of the Russian 58th Army were given detailed training instructions and pamphlets that said, quote, 
in the future operation to force Georgia to peace. Along, oh, okay. all, along with a detailed plan of what they were going to do. Well, it's being honest about it now. And the and, uh, soldiers were also given handouts that read, quote, soldier, know your enemy, and listed random facts about the about common Georgian soldiers, like their armament, leadership, uh, structure, and, and language, and things like that. It's just, it's for, it's for their, just so they know, Joe. I have to say, even the U.S. doesn't do this. Uh, like everybody j- makes jokes about like our large scale training exercises in like uh, California and Louisiana and stuff. But like we make up countries to invade. So, we, help, don't, baby. It's so we don't do this. Uh, like, help, it's coming. It's been coming for 20 years. <laughs> like uh, the, the, the country that everybody invades, quote unquote, uh, when they go to NTC is uh, Atropia. Like we, we make sure we don't name them after real places. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Russia's like, nah, fuck it, bro. Fuck it's it. Georgia. It's Georgia. Yeah. So it's right there on the box. And, and now one news agency, the Kavkaz Center, which I have a mixed relationship with professionally, uh, sure. <laughs> because it's generally linked to Chechen separatism. Uh, ah. Yeah. Uh, not, I don't mean that they're bad, necessarily. They just, just happen to be linked to Chechen separatism. Yeah. Um, like, do with that information what you will. It's just hard to find unbiased information from them. Um, now, they took a stab in the because dark. Because of the separatism. Because of the separatism, mostly. Uh, and not to mention, Chechen separatism is, is a wild, um, like, matrushka of a fucking idea, right? Like, yeah, it doesn't shock me. It's uh, like there's legitimate nationalists who want a Chechen state, and then the, it's their cause has been hijacked by like some insane militantism, uh, which right. is also is deeply rooted in Russian intelligence nightmare situations. Okay. Like the, the the FSB has been fucking with Chechens for decades. Um, right now, the the Kavkaz Center took a stab in the dark and said that Russia was probably going to invade in the first week of August, which ended up being 100 percent accurate. Um, was now, it like a week or? Just happened to be accurate. Now that's the thing. Nobody's really sure, but the uh, the, the common idea of how they managed to, to come up with that information is because of their connection to Chechen separatism, which means they inherently have connections with Russian intelligence. Right. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um. Now, while noted Russian insane person, neo-Nazi, and part-time politician Alexander Dugan what a fucking <laughs> sentence <laughs> <laughs> said that. All patriotic Russians should travel oh, to no. Oshetia and take up arms. It also sounds familiar. Um, uh, now, at the end of the training the exercise, it, man. yeah. Now, at the end of this training exercise, some Russian soldiers did go home. About a couple thousand, uh, give or take. But the rest stayed there uh, on the side of the Georgian border. In case that also sounds familiar, just case stuff happened. Yeah, yeah. Just, just yeah, just in case it sounds familiar. I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers or anything. Scared, um, but I don't make money. No, you know. On August 1st, another Georgian police truck was blown up, this time by an improvised explosive device, or IED, while Oshetian artillery shelled Georgian villages just over the border, and that would continue throughout the war. There's a lot of uh, indiscriminate shelling going on in this conflict. They fucking love it. Yeah. Now, Georgia did respond uh, with artillery as well, though they said that they're trying to do counter-battery missions, which is, you know, blow up their artillery so they can stop hitting us. They weren't very good at it. That's all. Like, (laughs) they didn't knock it out. That's tough. Yeah. As if it couldn't be more obvious what was coming, Russian journalists were loaded into a plane in Moscow and flew to Oshetia. That just feels rude, dude. <laughs> to report on the war. Uh, now, this war, remember, had not technically begun yet. Uh, all foreign journalists, with the exception of one, being from the Crimea area of Ukraine, 
was allowed uh, it, where all the other foreign journalists were banned. Uh, only the one Ukrainian guy was allowed. In. Oh. <laughs> um, it's just yeah. nice to be included. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, yeah. Just, just, it's being so obvious. They know it's a lot like every other conflict um, that's boiling up that you know is coming. Right. It's like the the bigger power is just not even trying to hide anymore because it's become very very clear that nobody's going to stop them. Right. Like, oh, I I can stop playing at this shit all I want. <laughs> Uh, now, the same day, small arms fire erupted over the border, though nobody's entirely sure of who started it. I will make my assumptions based on everything else I read in this conflict, yeah. but you do you. Um, by the next week, August 7th, a full 20,000 Oshetian civilians were evacuated into Russia, I believe in the North Oshetia, uh, which constituted more than 40% of the entire population. Oh, fuck. Okay. And the vast majority of which being from the capital, which only had a population of over 30,000. So this, this place is almost empty now. Like they, right. they've they've set the stage where like a war could start, and there's not going to be that much collateral you know, damage. Civilian casualties, right? Which I will say, you don't have to hand it to Russia, but that's a good fucking call. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> if only they did that. Say in Grozny, who you know, um, or you know Syria or Ukraine or wherever else, or, or you know, I suppose you take you take what you can get. Yeah, yeah. Now, at, at this point, after the evacuation, the Russian government also began setting volunteers into the area, including, what else, but hundreds of Cossacks. Ugh. Well, <laughs> goody. They, someone must have just told them that there was, like, uh, I don't know, like a temple in the area. I heard someone told the Cossacks that, uh, you know, that there's that Jews live in North Jews, South the Oshetia. Yeah. They're like, we're on our way! No, say no more! Say no more! Uh... If that joke is is a swing and a miss on a lot of people, I encourage you to go listen to the Bloody Baron series um, or history books about Cossacks. Um, now, Russia, of course, would say much later, like they would in other conflicts, that they simply cannot control the actions of random citizens if they want to go volunteer in some more. Is this a little green man shit? Yes, it 100% is. About uh, almost a decade before that happens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, they said that these volunteers are simply private Russian citizens, many of whom happen to be reservists, um, who are going about on their own private business and they just want to go do a war. Uh, Now, these volunteers were all well organized and gathered at the same drafting stations that regional military districts as the Russian military used for the same purpose. After that, these volunteers were loaded up and labeled as part of the official Russian peacekeeping units already in the area and transported aboard official Russian military vehicles. Into Oshetia. So, oh, yeah, volunteers, John, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just, they paid to get there. I don't even think they did that. <laughs> oh, I was, I was pulling for you, Republic of Russia. Republic, sort of in quotes. I believe they're, they're more of a federa- federation. Yeah, uh, there we go. Yeah, Whatever. there's a lot, of, a lot of republics within, but, uh, you know, do what you will. We're just here for the snark. <laughs> We're just here to make people mad, folks. Uh, well, Georgia may have been horribly unprepared for this turn of events. It's not like they didn't see it happening. Well, I would hope they saw it coming. Jesus Christ. They did see some of it coming. I don't think they realized how deeply fucked they were. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Um, President Shakisvali uh, tried to talk to anybody involved in the Russian government, trying to figure out, like, yo, what the fuck is going on? Uh, his calls pretty much went unanswered. Uh, and so instead, he reached out to NATO who used their satellites. Speaking like, of calls going unanswered. <laughs> well, NATO did help 
Uh, they were they used their satellites. Like, yeah, there's a fuckload of Russians over there. That's what? probably not, that's probably not good. <laughs> um, oh, you said get get off our ass and do something. No, man, satellites. Yeah, I, they they did just on the other side of nothing. Um, Should have done a drone strike. Uh, there's there's something of a narrative that's formed since the war ended that Georgia has started it. Um, and to be clear here, I don't have a lot of nice things to say about the Georgian government. I think we've made our opinions in Shakasvili pretty obvious. Um, yeah, well, he's, he's about as corrupt as Shevardnadze was uh, and has gone into exile significantly more times. <laughs> That's how you know he's the most corrupt. Yeah. Um, but I have a hard time accepting the narrative that Georgia started this war. Um, right. Now, they did. Why would you? Right. Uh, I will say they did the first ground offensive, but the war has already started. I, I consider the war started as, as of July 2008. Right. Um, now, for starters, the Georgian military was in no goddamn place to start a war with fucking anyone, let alone Russia. Uh, their years of military reform via U.S. help really only boiled down to a couple thousand people who were those soldiers were trained solely to go to Iraq as part of the Georgian mission there. They were not. It, this was not a systemic reform since. Right. The, like their military remained largely unchanged since the end of the first war. They may have some fancy new tools now because of, you know, us money, but functionally the same. Furthermore, those thousands of soldiers were literally not in Georgia at the time. The the nation's best soldiers, arguably were thousands of miles away in Baghdad. (laughs) So yeah, if you were to start a war and you (laughs) now, if you were to start a war and you had an army of maybe 10,000, wouldn't you maybe bring 2,000 of them home? I'd I'd, I'd have my best guys. I wouldn't leave them in fucking bed. Maybe even if you were, um, if, if you were going to not have your best guys, you'd at least make sure you have all of them, right? Right. (laughs) Like 2000 out of 10 is a lot. Um, also before everything kicked off, they never called up a general mobilization for reserves, which Oshedia and Abkhazia already did. Right. They hadn't even moved their air defense up to cover the area that would eventually become a battlefield. No preparation had been made whatsoever. Their soldiers had been deployed forward uh, like to normal, normal patrolling duties near the border, mm-hmm. but uh, that's, that's it. Nothing out of the ordinary. They didn't even have radios. Oh, Jesus Christ. In, in, yeah, instead, they were uh, to communicate their personal cell phones, uh, which is never how you want to fight a war. Right. Uh, an- another small detail is that the Georgia military had never done a single force on force military training exercise simulating the war that was about to happen. Russia did. Uh, that, that's, that's just black and white. Yeah, said it right there in the, in the leaflets. Uh, the commanders of their entire army had not done a single training exercise, so they had to command more than uh, a thousand troops at a single time. Uh, and that was a joint exercise with American mentors acting as their staff officers. Basically, yeah. Yep, that's right. Uh, there had been that no... That was me, Joe Kasabian. No, that was not my job. Uh, that was a, you, Joe Kasabian. A corporal of the U.S. Army does not, in fact, advise staff officers. Yes, it does. <laughs> um, Let me have my jokes, Joe. Uh, the same American mentors charged with training the Georgians said their soldiers were, quote, beginning to walk, but by no means had, were they running. Uh, now, that's okay. you know, the crawl, walk, run concept of training. This is a U.S. Army captain, Jeff Barta. No, I don't know him. <laughs> who, yes, helped, <laughs> you know. <laughs> who helped train a Georgian brigade for their peacekeeping service in Iraq. Quote, if that was a U.S. brigade, it would not have gone to combat. I will second that one, however. <laughs> oh. 
Uh, it was also noted that many of the, the lower ranking Georgian leaders, like junior leaders, NCO types, mm-hmm. couldn't read very well. Um, this meant that... Read English or read Georgian? Read Georgian. Oh, no. Um, this uh, this is something to do with the concept of conscription being more of an IQ test in some places. Right. Well-connected, well-educated people didn't go in the army. Right. Uh, not because that they didn't have to. They just found a way out of it. And this sure. is not knocking the the poor guys who didn't know how to read. Like, that's not your fault. Right. <laughs> like, that just sucks that you end up... In a position like where a you had to. how to read, yeah, you could probably be an infantryman in most armies and not know how to read, but you probably can't be an NCO because uh, you know you couldn't read a map, for instance. Um, you can't read printed orders; it's a problem. Right. Um, now, by the seventh of August, Georgia had finally started reinforcing its positions around those two states, but even then, it was only about eight hundred people. At this point, the combined Russian and Allied forces of the two states—I guess we could call—was in the tens of thousands. Oh, jeez. The same day, a, what a, a lot, dick move, dude. Yeah, a lot happened on the seventh. Thousands of Russian soldiers passed through the Roki Tunnel, the main thoroughfare between North Oshetia and South Oshetia. When Georgia received this report, they followed it. Uh, they forwarded it to NATO to confirm it, which NATO did. Thanks, guys. So at eleven thirty p.m. the same day, Shakasvili ordered Georgian soldiers to advance into Oshetia and occupy the capital. In what has to be one of the dumbest military orders of the millennium. Yeah. That's- <laughs> That's rough. Now, the stated goals were to stop Oshetian forces from shelling Georgian villages, which they were still doing, as well as occupy the capital before the Russians got to the capital. Not knowing, of course, that the Russians had already been there for weeks. This new force from the Roki Tunnel was just a a bigger one. It is generally assumed that Georgia had no idea how thoroughly Russia had hot couched their way into Oshetia at this point. <laughs> what a thank you for using that as a verb. <laughs> I mean, I have to assume they had no idea. Otherwise, they fully went to war knowing it was suicide, which is just more it because I have a general rule on this podcast and in most military history, and that is never uh, attribute anything to malice that can be much yep. more easily explained through yep. incompetence. And this just screams of incompetence. Um, I don't know of any military leader outside of like World War One era that actually murdered their own soldiers out of malice. Um, Mussolini comes to mind in the in the Greco-Italian War of like saying like freezing to death in the mountains will make the men make make the men right. Um, right. But usually, uh, you know, the cases of. Um, of like Luigi Cadorna legitimately not giving a shit. Like right. this is 2008. Uh, I, yeah. I, I highly doubt Shakasvili would order Georgia to war um, while knowing that he was already outnumbered like three to right. one. Uh, probably would have probably would have brought to the, like the UN security council or something, uh, which would have gone nowhere since Russia is on the UN security council and has a veto, right. <laughs> but like well, one of them a shot, so to yeah, speak. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there would have been a whole lot more of backpedaling and, and frantically realizing you're about to get fucked by a, an entire airborne division or whatever. I guess what I'm trying to say is nobody can figure out what the fuck Shaka Spiele was thinking. Suicide <laughs> march. Let's do it. <laughs> and uh, it, it, he has written about it. Um, he's talked oh, yeah? about it since then. I mean, he's still alive. He's, Actually, I think he's back running in politics in Georgia now. Um, but he, his his explanations have been bullshit. They've like been uh, one way, and then he tells it a different way. Gotcha. Yeah. 
I mean, that makes not, sense. At some point, you got, you know what I mean? He fucked up and just doesn't want to admit it. Right. Right. Uh, they hadn't been promised any assistance from any other nation. On the flip side of this, like current conflicts, world powers openly told Georgia they would not be giving them any military assistance in the reclaiming of the lands by force. So they knew fully going into this, their army is outnumbered, outgunned, and unprepared, and launched the attack anyway. And it isn't yet like. Sphingvali, the, the capital of Oshedia, isn't even strategically important as Georgia controlled the high ground that overlooked the city itself. Right. So completely unnecessary. There's literally no reason for this. Yeah. Cool. I mean, love to see it. In some pie in the sky shit, I guess, like if they truly believe they could go through and, and, and take out the Oshedian artillery, but even then, that would, re- that would require some, like, I don't, like some serious yes men well, shit. Yeah. Um, Luck. Yeah. Whatever. Luck, catch the Oshedians all simultaneously sleeping. They're all napping. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, even if they saw no other choice to launch a preemptive invasion before Russia did the same thing to them, there is no possible way they were going to ever win this battle. Right. One of the possible reasons for this is not a single member of the Georgian government at the time had any military experience to include the Minister of Defense. Um, and they were just throwing shit to the wall to see what stuck. And the Ministry of Defense, equally inexperienced and unprepared. Unprepared, simply went along with it. Um, Say unprepared. Unprepared. Uh, it really seemed like when Shaka's Valley took power, he surrounded himself with people yes, that, y- yeah, for the most part, loyalists that didn't want to say no. Um, right. On the 8th, the war officially started as Georgia returned the favor by bombarding the Oshidian capital with artillery while Russian jets entered Georgian airspace once again. They bombed targets around Tbilisi, then something new happened. Russia launched a massive cyber attack on Georgia. And oh, what, wow. What is probably the most effective and first use of electronic warfare in nation on nation warfare? Uh, the We're states. Like knocking out the power grid, shit like that, I assume. The state's footprint, and by that, by the state, I mean the Republic of Georgia's ability to use the internet was just annihilated. Oh, shit, dude. Um, now, this made disseminating information virtually impossible. This forced them to use unsecured networks like fucking mobile hotspots and personal right. emails and cell phones to send government fucking information about a war. Um, now, Russia, of course, knew this was going to happen because they had just annihilated their encryption technology. So they had other technology waiting for them to intercept this. Right. Meaning, at no point was any Georgian military force moving without Russian no- without Russian forces knowing about it. That's honestly terrifying. Yep. And this is remember 2008. This can yeah. very effectively happen now. Even better. Um, right. Yep. Uh, yeah. It, uh, technology is awesome. Isn't it great? Um, now, this also made Georgian uh, media largely unable to communicate with the outside world, meaning Russian media can uh, uh, free access, not only free accent, uh, access, but the main reporting method, which all Western media would then pick up and spread further. Oh, yeah, true, true, true. Within about 24 hours, Russian media via their own government controlled the entire narrative of the war, which is probably one of the most effective ways I've seen this happen since like the, the invasion of Iraq in 2003. Right. This is why when Russia claimed that the Georgian attack on the Oshedian capital killed 2,000 civilians and displaced 40,000, the press just ran with it. Now, this wasn't just Western press because they did, but Russian press as well. So soon, amongst the Oshedian forces, they believed that thousands of people in the city had just been killed by the Georgians. Right. That will lead to way more war crimes. Well, that makes sense. Now, That's it re- pretty fucking heinous. 
Now here's here, here's the thing though. The vast majority of people killed in the attack on the Capitol were Georgian soldiers themselves. Oh boy. While it's true that Georgia bombed the shit out of the city, the vast majority of it had been evacuated. With 40% schools, you said, right? That's uh, 40% of the, into- the total Oshetian population. Oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. Which included the vast majority of the capital. Right. Um, now, since they'd been evacuated, things like schools, hospitals, government buildings, and churches, all things you're not supposed to target under you know, Geneva Conventions and what have you, were turned into military outposts, which makes them free game. Uh, now, this is not according to any like pro-Georgian source or whatever. This is from Human Rights Watch. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's how, um, for people unaware, that's how the law of land warfare uh, works. Things are considered off limits unless they're turned into military targets. Uh, right. So, like, obviously, you can't bomb a church. You can't bomb a hospital. But if you turn that hospital into a military command and control point, it's free game now. It's not a war crime. Um, and according to Human Rights Watch, that's pretty much what happened. Right. And if that wasn't bad enough, a ton of Russian artillery also bombed the city because, of course, it did. Um, now, while Russian media said that at like 2,000 people were killed, um, the, it's very hard to come up with an accurate count here. But the, the, the lone doctor who stayed in the local hospital during the fighting said that he saw 44 civilian casualties come into his hospital um, and, you know, uh, maybe 100 more wounded, give or take. Though that number could still fluctuate. It's certainly not 2,000. Um, Now, the Russian 58th Army launched a counterattack, forcing the few Georgian soldiers who had reached the Oshetian capital out. Hilariously, the Russians ran into the same problem the Georgians did. As soon as the war started, their communication system bogged down and then broke entirely, which forced them to use cell phones. (laughs) (laughs) Just Russian conscripts desperately sending smoke signals in the mountains. Um, they, they also had to use cell phones to direct the invasion of a country. Oh, at, one, mighty dude. at one point, a Russian general uh, cell phone, a Russian general cell phone, wouldn't work, so he had to steal a satellite phone from a journalist to command his regiment. <laughs> and that uh, can you, the, the ringtone? What was the ringtone? Yeah, I think we had. I, I, I want to say, uh, 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 was it Angry Frog? Oh, I was going for the Russian hard base, and you've now wrote it. That, that I'm just here to make you mad. Ah, uh, voices uh, by my own petard. <laughs> now the Georgians managed to hold on to the the scraps of the uh, the southern edges of the Ossetian capital for fifteen hours before they were just forced out by the weight of the Russian military, and they retreated to the town of Gori. But that same weight of Russian force actually slowed the Russians down. There was only one single road that led between North and South (laughs) Oshetia. (laughs) And uh, it created a dozen mile long, tens of thousands of man deep traffic jam. (laughs) And this is the part where I get to say it. And then it got worse um, because their vehicles began to break down. (laughs) And they had to pee. And you know, the funny part is about military vehicles. None of them are fuel, like uh, have like good fuel economy. No. So if you're stuck in traffic idling for hours, you run out of gas, which they also did. <laughs> uh, the Russian Air Force is also using avionics and targeting equipment that was like decades old. Uh, some people said it was from like the 80s, maybe 90s if you're lucky, but probably late 70s, 80s. Now, that meant they couldn't bomb accurately unless it was daytime and the weather happened to be nice. Oh, World War II. And let me... And no, let me did night bombing raids in World War II. Never mind. And let me tell you, if you want to see some bad weather, go to the Caucasus in August. Uh, like, it is just constantly overcast. Uh, also, their air campaign was made further 
like just an incomprehensive mess by the fact that their version of GPS, which is a system that was Glasnass, uh, did not cover Georgia for some reason. Why? What? It's never been fully explained otherwise, uh, other than the system just wasn't complete. Uh, And then there there had been budget cuts. And then... uh, Still what? <laughs> yeah, and then obviously enough, the U.S. turned off the Russian access to their GPS system because, of course, they would. Um, and right. then you, you know who did have access to GPS? Georgians. Yes, uh, I don't fucking know. <laughs> also, yeah, uh, but the, the Georgian military was given access to GPS as well as uh, in-depth information from uh, NATO uh, air defense systems. Oh, good. We helped. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, now, it didn't really matter uh, because uh, let me just move on to the next part and explain why yeah. this didn't matter. Um, now, when it came to a failure of scouting, obviously, Glasnass doesn't work. Right. Um, they So you, you could use drones. Russia had drones, though they kind of sucked. Um, right. But they could Let's be used. For, yeah. yeah, they could be used for scouting. Um but the Russian defense minister refused to allow them to be used in the theater for fear that they could be shot down and given over to NATO countries for intelligence purposes. Gotcha. So look, we want them anyway. This fell um, all airborne scouting operations to a TU 22 M three. Now for those who are not avionics nerds, such as either of us, um, this is a supersonic bomber from the 1970s. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, now, bombers are not exactly great at scouting. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a job it was equipped for, and it, when, it, when it was kind of equipped for, it was very bad at it. And then if things yes. couldn't get any worse from yes. this poor bastard forced <laughs> to fly these missions, <laughs> the TU was then shot down by Russian ground forces. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> According to the Georgians, the Russian lost 19 aircraft during the air campaign. I have no way to say that's true or false. But the Russians say it was more like six. And it was all it was the, 19. This might be 19. And it was all on the first day of fighting. However, the Russians also acknowledge in their own numbers of six, three were shot down by friendly fire. <laughs> meaning, that is not great. Meaning a full 50% of them were complete and total fuck-ups, even by their own admission. Now, this, is, be- this is because... All, like again, back in our first Chechen war series, the Russian air force still had not figured out a way for their jets to talk to the ground forces. So that meant nobody could like make sure who was friendly or who was foe. Uh, and the ground forces were never told that their air force is operating in the sky over them. Oh, oh that's a, that's a, that's a good logistics <laughs> <laughs> leading to them to believe that every single jet over them was Georgian, despite the fact that the Georgian Air Force did not fly a single fucking sortie throughout the entire war. Outstanding. Yeah. Uh, Russia might be the first country that we've ever talked about that lost air superiority to themselves, <laughs> which is incredible. Uh, Georgia didn't have a lot going for it, but what they did have was balls. Uh, Georgian special forces had managed to infiltrate all the way to the Roki Tuttle and using GPS called an artillery of the confused mess of Russian vehicles that had gotten stuck in traffic. Nice. Oh, highway of death. In another operation, that same special forces unit launched an ambush and nearly killed the, uh, the Russian general in charge of the ground invasion, General Anatoly Kuri- Kurilev, uh, the commander of the 58th Army. 
exact details of this operation aren't known. I couldn't find shit on it, uh, but it was described that the general was wounded in a quote, hand to hand combat. <laughs> 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 it's 2008. Just run up and fucking slice the goddamn general with a big I hate you so much. <laughs> Get the fuck out of my country. Now, when the Georgian government finally mobilized its reserves, it had no idea what to do with them. The system had never been used before, and, and when people showed up, it was discovered that they had actually never been given any military training at all. They'd just been put on the reserve rolls. When they were deployed anyway to Gori, many of the units got lost. The regular army commanders in the town had no idea where they were coming from or yes. why. Yes. And had no, like, more specifically, those regular army commanders did not get any orders from the government on what the fuck they were supposed to be doing let alone what they were supposed to be doing with all these just random dudes with rifles with no training that showed up. So the reserves kind of stood around for a couple hours before turning around and going home. Fair enough. By the next day of fighting on the 9th, any hope of Georgia holding out uh, any like overall offensive into Georgia was dead. Um, the real nail in the coffin is when the Russians opened a second front out of Abkhazia, where so far there had been no fighting. In Abkhazia alone, the Abkhaz army, led by Russians, was larger than the entire Georgian army. They are further reinforced by another 15,000 Russian soldiers. That means that now, from two fronts, the 12,000-man Georgian military, 2,000 of which were in Iraq, was now outnumbered on two fronts, which is probably the most fucked a country has ever been. Uh, Probably knowing how screwed they were, the Georgian government declared a ceasefire, hoping this would lead to some kind of negotiations, but instead Russia just ignored that and rolled towards the town of Gori. They seized the town of Poti, which was the headquarters of the small Georgian Navy. And then what has to be the the biggest fuck you, like tactically and little else, Mm -hmm. they literally loaded the entire Georgian Navy up on flatbeds and stole them. Oh. And then (laughs) sold them for scrap. Scrap? Come on, man. You kind of just sank them. (laughs) Like, like, no, we're going to steal this because fuck you. That's why. Suck a dick. (laughs) <laughs> and I mean, they were all very old ships. They don't, I don't even think they even, even attempted so, to resist. Um, now, they seized the town of Poti, uh, like I said, and uh, once there, they also seized a large shipment of U.S. Humvees, which were being shipped in to be given to the Georgians. Uh, and then right. On the 11th, the Georgian forces began an all-fronts retreat. The government assumed this shit was for real now, and they were if they were going to defend anything, they needed to centralize everything they had to defend the capital of Tbilisi. This meant that tank formations in order to, because uh, they couldn't move fast enough, hid themselves in the uh, Borjomi National Park. Uh, and when Russia heard about that, they simply firebombed the entire thing. So that's, that's cool. Cool. Rather than risking losing more aircraft, I assume to themselves, Russian forces began firing ballistic missiles armed with cluster bomb warheads deep into Georgia. Dicks. And since their targeting systems were totally fucked as their aircraft, these landed in residential areas. So, and I do need to point out, Georgia also used cluster bombs. Um, so everybody knows I'm not like trying to so that obscure that. Uh, but yeah, um, Georgian forces in the meantime desperately tried to hold on to something, anything. No pre-war plans existed to defend their capital, and no bunkers or shelters or anything prior had been built because this is fucking 2008. What country has these? Maybe Switzerland, right? Like, no, nobody's prepared for an actual invasion towards their capital. That's not something that states prepare for right, anymore. Right, because why would you? Yeah, even in 2008. Like, how's the US, dude? Yeah, yeah. N- nobody w- we're in the, the enlightened part of history. No peer, no, peer war we're, will pop we're, you. We're the dumbest part, everybody. I want to make that very clear. I mean, the only thing that we have over, like, 
the turn of the 19th century, I guess, is at least we're not all red monarchs. <laughs> yeah, we also wash our hands now. Yeah, we got that going for us. We won't wear a mask, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, take some, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, you, yeah, you got to take the good at the bad. Now, Georgian troops worked around the clock, rattled but not broken, to prepare their last stand against the allied forces of three armies, of which they stood absolutely no chance against. Uh, and they, like, dug in around this plateau area to give them, like, the best possible uh, position to fight from. And it would have been a fucking bloodbath from all sides that would have ended in a Georgian defeat. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Then, thankfully, the final short showdown at the gates of Tbilisi never happened. On, on August 12th, Russian President Medvedev announced that he had accepted a ceasefire plan that had been brokered by the French President Nicolas Sarkozy, noted convicted criminal these days. The march on Tbilisi was canceled, but Russian forces acted as a screen as militia and volunteers they support began laying waste the towns they now controlled, looting and murdering their way through ethnic Georgian villages for um, it's sometimes explained as revenge. Uh, for the 2,000 or so uh, people that were reportedly killed that didn't actually die. I mean, like, 2,000 people didn't even die in this entire conflict. Right. Um, they would eventually expel tens of thousands of civilians back towards the area held by the Georgian government. And to this day, tens of thousands of Georgians can still not return home. Um, large swaths of Georgia became occupied as a buffer zone. At the port of Poti, like I said, Russian found those U.S. Humvees, which they then also carted back to uh, to Russia for uh, for research. Though mm-hmm. I have to say, I have no idea what they could have learned from those fucking pieces have, of shit. I have a few dicks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a reason why we were giving them away. We don't like we don't give away things that are actually good to like third countries. Like even the tanks we give to Saudi Arabia are purposefully shitty. They have different armor and guns. <laughs> steal it we don't give a fuck they suck <laughs> i mean they're humvees they've been around since the fucking 80s there's no secrets about them they weren't even armored like they were like the shitty canvas sided humvees that we wouldn't oh, use no. anymore yeah um now this war is generally considered to have begun on august 1st and ended on the 12th though like i said i believe it really did begin in july um but it only began in, in earnest on the 8th of august and in mostly five days the georgian military had been destroyed it lost a quarter of its tanks, and it literally its entire navy had been scrapped. Taken back on flatbeds. Yes, <laughs> and uh, Georgia just dis- disbanded it. They never rebuilt it. I think they, I, I think they reformed it into a coast guard. Mm. Um, nobody really knows exactly Russian or Allied casualties. I guess we can call them because they fluctuate pretty wildly. Um, though the Georgians lost less than two hundred dead, they did have twelve hundred wounded, which is pretty bad for an army that is functionally only around 10,000. It's bad. Russian veterans of the war were given the For Enforcing Peace Medal, which is funny. Um, since the war, Russia, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Nauru, and Syria has recognized the independence of the two states, though I should be I should point out oh, here... A banger list. That, that, yeah, that's an that's a all-time list, but Russia also literally paid them tens of millions of dollars apiece. Ah. Uh, to get to get them to recognize, yeah, they do enough. this a lot. Yeah, like states do this a lot. Yeah, um, like you see the um, the same kind of uh, tit for tat pissing match between China and Taiwan, uh, who can like pay people to recognize them more with economic deals and shit. Uh, though there's a lot more politics involved in that one. Uh, mm-hmm. Though in reality, these places are not independent states; they are functionally part of the Russian Federation. Both places are deeply impoverished and depend on Russia for literally everything. Uh, to include their continued funding and local economy. Since the end of the war, Russia has gone back to mostly ignoring them uh, because, of course, they did. Their useless them is used up. 
Um, now, meanwhile, Georgia refuses to acknowledge her independence or Russia's effective annexation of them, something I'm sure will not possibly lead to future problems. That's a mindfuck. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, that's a podcast, folks. This one has a happy ending. Um, no. Don't worry. Yeah. Nothing ever gets better. Yeah. And uh, d- this certainly couldn't happen all over again with, a, with other regions uh, exactly like this. No. No, it could never happen again. Now, we've been going over a little long, so we're going to go straight to our question from the Legion. Uh, if you'd like to ask us a question of the Legion, donate to the show, sign in my DMs on Patreon, uh, Discord, whatever. Donate a buck, ask a question, we answer it on air. All right. Uh, uh, firearms are now gone. You have to use a hand-to-hand weapon. Um, what would yours be? Big ass broadsword, duh. I'm going to go with uh, unpopular opinion, spear. Oh, spear's a good one. Here's a good one. I don't want you to get too close to me. I'm going to poke you from afar. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Doesn't feel too good, does it? (laughs) Stay back there, motherfucker. Um, uh, So that is our episode. Liam, plug your shows. Well, there's your problem. 10,000 losses. Yeah, listen to them. Uh, Buy my sci-fi series, Liberty of Death. Check out Hooligans of Kandahar. You can get them for freakishly cheap or free. Uh, donate to the Patreon. You make everything we do possible and you get bonus stuff. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Until next time, the don't carpet bomb national park. Don't, don't flatbed someone else's uh, Navy. I, honestly, I'm kind of cool with that one. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, scrap the Navy. Later.